we're going to start a brand new discussion tonight, and I'm looking forward to it. It is, it is Matthew 28 is where we're going to start tonight. And hey, welcome. So if you have your Bibles, follow along, Matthew 28, this brand new study. It's going to, I don't know how many weeks it's going to be, at least five or six weeks. And we're going to talk about discipleship. And you see the title of the study is this, Disciple, Be One, Make One. Let's say that together since it's Wednesday night and we're here. We're going to say that right there. Disciple, and that is what? Be one, make one. So tonight is the mission launch. And that is this, this statement that Jesus gave, make disciples. So obviously, we spent the last few weeks, uh, really the last couple of months, looking at Jesus' last moments before his crucifixion with the disciples in the upper room, and we spent some time with that. Well, now we're going to focus on what he left his disciples to do, the mission that he gave them. And I want us to think not just, um, not just in theory about this, but I want us to think real boots on the ground, the life where we live right now, how we can make sure that we are on mission with Christ. And this is really important because we can lose sight of our purpose. And so this is kind of an opportunity for us to reset and refocus some of that. So, Matthew 28, we're going to read what is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. And it comes here in just a few short verses, just three verses. In Matthew chapter 28, follow with me, look in your Bibles at verses 18 uh, through verse number 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to help us. Lord, I just pray that as we look at this familiar passage, that you'd help us to be introspective. Lord, help us to see what you want, the part that you want us to play in your mission. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's talk about this a little bit. So the word disciple in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, if you're reading uh, the text that I put on there, or if you're reading the King James Version, you don't actually see the word disciple anywhere in that passage. However, it is there. It's there, and some of you may know exactly where it is, and in fact, I put it on your handout. It's that little phrase, in verse number 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations. That word teach, if you want to circle it or underline it or mark it, it literally means to, it's the, it's the, it's the verb form of the noun disciple. We don't have a verb form of that, so often you'll see that translated either teach or make disciples. 
You could, we could invent a word which is discipleize all nations. And so often you'll see this translated very accurately, just as accurately, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now let me ask you this. When we look at it, and if we were to just look at that word teach in our modern concept, and we were not to point out that it is the Greek word for disciple, what, how could we possibly misunderstand this idea of teaching all nations? Go, therefore, and teach all nations. I'm not saying that teach is a bad word here. What I'm saying is, in our modern concept of teaching versus discipleship, I don't think it, when those words are first spoken, we always put those together. How do we misunderstand the purpose if we just limit it to our modern idea of teaching? Anybody? So it could just simply be instruction. Like, somebody else want to elaborate on that? How could we misunder, or could we kind of miss the point without diving a little deeper into that word? What could we reduce discipleship to? Knowledge transfer. Knowledge transfer. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Or it could be reduced to a classroom, right? Where you get people together, you give them a class, and you have taught them. But let me ask you that: this. Is that the picture of discipleship that Jesus gave for us in the New Testament? No. Now, was Jesus teaching? Yeah. So again, I'm not saying that I have a problem with the word teach. What I'm saying is, in our modern concept of the word teach, it's lost some of its fullness to the, the intent of, the, of what Jesus said here. He literally said, go into all the world. He said, make disciples of all nations. So making disciples is going to involve not less than what I'm doing right now, right? Like this must be part of it. This active teaching has to be a part of it. But is this enough to make disciples? Is it enough for me or another pastor to stand up a couple of times a week and to give a Bible lesson. Does that mean disciple? Does that mean the mission is being carried out? It, not necessarily. Now, it must be. If it's not happening, then surely the mission isn't being carried out. But if it is all that is happening, then the mission is not being carried out. What do you think? Let me ask you what, as we get going here. What do you think are some obstacles to real discipleship happening in a local church setting or in a community setting, in, a, in an area? What are, some, what are some things that are obstacles to real discipleship happening? Anybody want to take a guess or give me an idea? I should say not take a guess, but give me a, an idea of what is preventing sometimes this from actually happening. What do you mean by that? Right. Kind of like hamster wheel? You're just, you've got a routine, you do your routine. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Or is that, oh, oh you've got to be careful. 
you got to be careful touching your ear, scratching your head or something, because it looks like a hand going up, and I'm always quick on the hand. Anything else that you got, would, you'd say is, I think that's a big one, just we get in the routines of our lives, we forget this. That's true. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, let's look at, I want to just show you three really simple things tonight. And again, this is, this is the purpose tonight is just to launch out. And, and then in, we're going to look at specific topics that affect our discipleship in uh, coming weeks. But let's just, I just want to show you three things that we, that we get from this. And number one, look at the, you've got to look at the framework that Jesus sets up. It says, and actually, if you were to back up to verse number 16, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, teach all nations. Now, some people have said, well, yes, this mission was given to the disciples. Now, if you're reading this passage in context, is that a correct statement? Who Jesus make this statement to? The disciples. It says it right there. The disciples. And so then some people will say, so really, it was this is just speaking about the initial getting the gospel out to all the world because Jesus just spoke to the disciples. Except, what did he then tell them to do specifically? To, to go into all the world. So for one thing, they couldn't possibly do it just them on their own. There's, there's no way that could have happened. So it must be going to, it must involve more people. Plus specific, specifically, not specifically, but specifically, he says to them, hey, disciples, you are going to go and do what? Which means... Yeah, yeah, but wait a minute, wait a minute. He says, you're go remember the language we started with this? He says, hey, disciples, you're going to go and teach all nations, which is what? Yeah, you two said it. You disciples are going to go make disciples, which implies what do disciples do? They make disciples. And those disciples make disciples who, you're figuring it out. Disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So, who are you discipling? That's a, that's a question for you and me to answer. Who are, are you a disciple of Jesus? The first question, are you a disciple of Jesus? You'd say, yes, I am. So the question is, in what way are you involved with discipling another person or other people? Disciples make disciples who make disciples. Yeah, what were you going to say? Good. Yeah. That's, that's, that is awesome. And we're going to talk about some of these things in the coming weeks, how we can be, we can be disciple-making disciples. So he says to go into all the world. He says to teach all nations. He says to make disciples of all nations. And... 
we have his power to do it. That's back in verse number 18. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. So go therefore and teach all nations. Disciples make disciples who make disciples. Secondly, so that's number one. Secondly, Jesus gave us the process and the pattern of discipleship. Now, this is where I want us to have a little bit more of a conversation and take some notes based on what the, the conversation we're having. So get ready to participate. Are you ready? All right, I guess I'm coming over here. All right, so yes, so we're going to do this. Now, Jesus gave us the process and the pattern. Now, what's the difference between a process and a pattern? What is, how would you say, what's the, you're like, I don't know, you wrote this down, you tell me. What do you think, that if, what do you think I mean the difference between a process and a pattern? The process would be, yeah, here's the steps, right, it shows you what to do, it gives you the steps, it outlines the steps of the, the, the but what's, the, what's a pattern then? An example, right, so the pattern is the example, this is the, this is the process, this is what you do, and then the pattern shows us how you do it. The process we find right here in this passage, but it's very broad. Where do we find the pattern for how to do it? Where do we find the example? What's that? We find it in the, in specifically, what do you mean by that? We see it in how Jesus walked with his disciples. How did Jesus make disciples? We should, if Jesus is the, is the, is the master and we're disciples, of him and, and anyone that's disciples of us ought to be disciples of Jesus. We ought to disciple the way that Jesus discipled, right? So there's a process he gives, but then there's a pattern that he demonstrated. Where else do we see the pattern of discipleship? Not just in the Gospels and now Jesus, but where else is there a pattern of discipleship? The, yeah, in the New Testament. We see in the book of Acts how the early church demonstrated this. And that's why, as a biblically-based church, our job is to get as closely in line with what the New Testament church did and replicate that today, to be disciples of disciples who are disciples of Jesus. So Jesus gave the process and the pattern. So if you look with me, at verse, back in verse number 19, let's look at the process. The process is this. So go, therefore, and teach all nations... Now, once they have received, once they become disciples, the process of discipleship starts. When a person believes in Christ, they become a disciple. And so the process is this. The very first thing that is supposed to happen is those disciples are supposed to be what? Baptized. Those disciples are supposed to be baptized. Now, you go to Acts with me. In fact, I should have put this one on here, but I want you to see this. Acts chapter 2. Go ahead to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at another passage in Acts 2 at the end, but they did this right from the, from the beginning. And, oh, actually, I do have it on your handout. So it's Acts chapter 2 and verse number 41. Acts chapter 2, verse number 41. This is, the very first, this is on the day of Pentecost. This is the very first day... That, that preaching has happened. This is the very first day that preaching has happened after Jesus has, has ascended into heaven. He, Peter goes out and he preaches on the day of Pentecost. 
This is them fulfilling the first step in this command, make disciples. So they go out and they preach. There's miracles. They speak in tongues. They speak in languages that everybody can understand in a miraculous way. And then it says in verse number 41, then they that gladly received his word. The first step in the process happened. They became disciples by receiving the word of God. They heard the message of Jesus. They received the message of Jesus. And then they were what? Baptized. And the same day there were, what's this next statement? Added unto them about 3,000 souls. You see the formation of the very first what? Church. The very first church is formed. Baptism. Baptism is the outward sign of belief in Christ. And that unites us with the visible body of Christ. When we, are, when we are born again by faith, we are united to the eternal and invisible body of Christ. But when we are baptized, we are then added to the local, visible, called out assembly called the church. Those who are baptized, um, then that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. If you go back to Matthew 28, this is the process of the, of, the, of the mission. It is for people to be made disciples, to be baptized. And then it says in verse 19, Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And now full-time discipleship be begins. Because here's the broadest statement of all in making disciples. Teaching them to observe what? So based on teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, how many of you have completed your discipleship journey? <laughs> None of us. Because it's not complete until we're observing what? All things. Whatever Jesus has commanded. Do you see how broad this is. Discipleship is not a class. Discipleship is not, and often, and we do this in our church, we say, you know, if somebody becomes a believer, um, in fact, we've got a couple of people involved in this right now, we'll say, hey, let's get on a plan for you to be involved in a one-on-one -on -one or a small group discipleship. And so people do that for 13 weeks or 26 weeks, or maybe even for a full year, they'll be in a one-on-one -on -one discipleship but that is not, that is not the, in fact, I don't even know if we should call it that because the whole Christian life is discipleship. That's more like discipleship 101. That's, let's get you hooked up with a mentor. Let's get this thing started. Let's, this is like, that's more like discipleship launch pad. But discipleship is, is the life of the believers. Jesus gave the process and the pattern of discipleship. So, here, we just have the, the process. You tell me now. Let's have the discussion. You tell me, based on what you know about Jesus and his, his time with his disciples, based on what you know about the, the book, rest of the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, what does the pattern of discipleship look like? This whole be one, make one. What is the pattern of discipleship that we see? Give me some characteristics of discipleship in the New Testament both in the Gospels and in the book of Acts and Epistles. Yes. 
Ethiopia? Yep. Right, he leads him to the Lord right there and baptizes him right there. So I would say that part of the pattern we see of discipleship is that we are people who are evangelizing. We're reaching people. We're sharing our faith with people. That's, that's a huge part of it. Jesus sent his disciples out to preach the gospel. So disciples are looking for more disciples. They're soul winners. They're looking for converts for the kingdom. So that's definitely one of the patterns that we see in the New Testament. And sometimes it was, it was, let me tell you, sometimes it was, hey, come and see, come and see. And we find, we can do the boat both today. But what else do we see? What did discipleship look like? Yep. Yep. So that Right, we're not reinventing the this. And I think that's a good point is when we do this, there's a lot of people today that are trying to, you know, they want to say, "Oh, well, we need this new program, we need this new system." There's actually some very simple things in the New Testament that we could talk about. So like somebody else, give me some more. What did discipleship, what did Jesus and his disciples look like? I mean, he was discipling those 12 men and some of the women. Yep. So one of the patterns with small groups would be that Jesus had 12 that he worked with and four that he dealt with. Yeah. And we see that. And I'm just curious here, when he says teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, is that word teaching there the same one that we have above? I think that it is. I have to double check that. Oh, observe or obey. Yeah. yeah, it's an active, like to observe, it would be like, we, we don't use that word observe that way anymore, but like, we observe, the observe the holiday. Good, that's a good one. Yeah, it, but it doesn't mean just to look at it. It means to participate in it. So there's a teaching of obedience. Yeah. That's part of discipleship is helping people, helping each other, not just know the Bible, but to obey the Bible, to right. obey it. Yeah, but you mentioned small groups, and that is absolutely correct. The discipleship is not just about what happens in the main church service, right? Which is why we try to switch up our formats a little bit, and, and I think we have room for improvement here. But at the same time, that's why on Sunday morning I'll give a message, and then on a Wednesday night I try to make this more of a discussion where we're, we're learning from each other, you know? But other times, believers, Christians, you may have, you may have a group of, uh, of people that you connect with and you get together and you talk about what you're reading in your devotions and you pray together. It should not just be that the, the main gatherings of the church should be the starting place for us to deepen our Christian relationships as we follow in discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we 
Right. And, and like what Patrick was saying goes along with that because there was some teaching that Jesus gave to the multitudes. There was some teaching that Jesus gave to his 12 disciples. And then sometimes he took Peter and James and John and he gave them specific teaching as well. So it's, it's not, there's a difference between clicky groups and intentional building into people's lives and making a difference. But a lot of times, one of the hindrances to that is involvement. People need to, we've got to see that. We've got to want that. We've got to desire that kind of growth, right? Like you know that you can, you can what is the statement? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. We need to be a people disciples and disciplers in one. We have to have a hunger for the word. We've got to want to know. So that's good. What else do we notice about discipleship in the New Testament? Well, so there's some like super really, really practical things that like really basic stuff. Yeah. But how did it happen? How does discipleship happen? Well, just you and Jesus. Yeah. Yep. That's a good point. Yeah. Right. Think about the amount of time that Jesus spent with the disciples. A lot of time. A, like three years of their lives, like with a few breaks. I, I firmly believe that Christians just don't spend enough time together nowadays. We just don't. And I've seen this happen, and, and I, there's lots of different models of doing it. I have, I have friends with churches that have super active small group ministries. I have friends with churches that have, they use more gatherings where they bring people to the same space. I've seen it done lots of different ways, but almost everybody I've talked to, no matter what model that they use, they're always fighting to keep people engaged. They're always fighting to keep people in, involved, whether they have lots of small groups that meet on-site or off-site classes, whether they use large gatherings, whatever. Everyone I talk to, it's about every pastor I talk to, it's about how do we get more people engaged? How do we keep people engaged? Because in order for discipleship to happen, the disciples have to get together. Got to be together. Um, and that time has to be spent. Yeah. Yeah. You would eat with the teacher. You would serve the teacher as you're being instructed. And I mean, we see that pattern in Jesus' life and his disciples. They did with him and what they did and what they did. Right. And I don't think we've come even close to that kind of engagement today. Yeah. But I think fighting for that kind of engagement is average. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think, and one of the reasons I'm doing this is because I do want, I do feel that that our church, in some areas, we need to take the next step in discipleship. 
we need to, like, I, I think it's, and, and this isn't to be critical of anyone. This is, like, I'm thankful for everybody that's involved in every way. But I do see from a leadership standpoint that we could make some improvements in how our church disciples and how we help people in the faith. And I want us all to think about uh, that personally. Um, so let's, so Jesus gave a process and he gave a pattern. Now, this is the, the last thing I want to show you. It kind of lends itself to everything that we've said so far. Making disciples involves the whole church. Making disciples involves the whole church. As opposed to making an assumption that, well, I'm sure the discipleship is being taken care of by the professionals. And I'm not saying anyone here has that attitude. I know people that take it very personally. So I just want to challenge us all. So, so please don't feel that anything is directed at you specifically. This is just for all of us to, to think about it. So for instance, I can think of, um, there have been times where I have seen, I have known, and, may, and this could be a failure in leadership. It could be my responsibility to say, hey, I need to connect this person with that person or do this or that. But I have observed people come in who desperately need Christian relationships. They desperately need friendship, and, but they don't receive it. They don't, they don't get it. Now, again, that might not be your fault. I'm not saying it is. But, it, but we need to take that responsibility collectively. Right? It's a collective responsibility to say, hey, here is somebody who has been a part of our church for three weeks, three months, and I don't know who they are, and I don't know how they're doing spiritually. Do you think we should all try to have a sense of that? We should, if we're following the biblical pattern of discipleship, that we know and we care. That doesn't mean we are busybodies that interject ourselves unwantedly into people's lives. That's not what we're saying. But there needs to be a corporate responsibility that says it's, it's, it, you should never assume, you should never, under, you never assume, hey, one of the pastors must have that covered because we might not. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, again, it's just an area I want to call us all to attention to. And I'm going to take the next few weeks to do that, to show us different ways and different mindsets and all from the scriptures. But discipleship involves the whole church. Did you have a hand up? Or? Well, I was just going to say there's two types of people. Those who know they need a deep commitment to Christian fellowship and those who don't know that they need <laughs> But what's the common denominator? They both need it. They both need it. Right. 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 Well, let's read that because that was the text I was going to use. It picks it up in verse number forty-six, and they. Where is the phrase that you that you have translated devoted to fellowship? Is that does it say that? Yeah, that's in 
Yeah, I know, but which, which read that for me. Oh, verse number 42, where it says, and they continued steadfastly. Right, the idea of, oh, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That idea of continued steadfastly, I think, is where they're translating it, devoted. Yeah, and that's, yeah, there's a, there's a devotion, there's a continued, they, they, but that is a, that's a good point. Because like you said, there are those that know that they need it and they crave it, and there are those that don't know that they need it. So th that's a balance, but they, there's that devotion, there's, there's that desire. But now look what happens down in verse number 46. Down in verse number 46, and there's some good stuff in between. You can read that as well, but I just want to point out 46 and 47. And they, continually, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to a house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. That's a unity. So look at all the things that are happening. They're going to temple, the temple, every day. Now, we do understand that some of these things are unique to the situation that was happening here. This is surrounding the day of Pentecost. These people were basically on an extended vacation break because of the holiday. But at the same time, the, what's happening here is they're making daily connections with each other. There's, they're, they're continuing daily with one accord in the temple. They're breaking bread from house to house. That means different people are sharing meals with different people. And this wasn't up to, this wasn't up to, who's organizing all this? Who's putting the calendar together? Nobody. This is what they're doing. They're saying, hey, we are now, now there's, Three, is it three? How many was it? 5,000? First time I get my numbers mixed up. What's that? First was 3,000. There's 3,000 people, okay? There are nobody organizing those meals in people's dinner houses, dinner in people's houses right then and there. They're doing this together. Making disciples involves the whole church, all of us. And I would encourage us, not just with our friends, so to speak. You know what I mean by that, right? Not just with our friends, but saying, hey, how can I reach out? How can... And, and again, please don't take this critically because I know I can think of specific people in our church that are very actively involved in this. But I do think it, th that as a whole, our church would benefit from more of it. So this is going to be one of those series, if you keep coming for the next few weeks, where I am going to say some things like, you know how usually it's like, I'm not saying in our church, but in the American church in general, this time I'm going to do some things that I'm going to be like, hey, I am saying in our church, let's do this. Um, and summer is always a time, as we get ready to summer, summer can be a notorious time for people to pull back from engagement in the church. There's lots of things to be involved in. I've always felt like it's a great time to just refocus and re-engage there are some churches that scale back their kids' ministries and things like that, take a break for the summer. I've always been like, no, let's go full force ahead into the summer. And so I would use this summertime, use this opportunity. And we do, we are working on creating events. Like, for instance, if we do family bike night, which was in the bulletin on Sunday morning. If we do family bike night on um, Sunday night, the, May the 21st, okay, is that the answer to real discipleship happening in the church. 
No. What is the, what is the purpose of those things, though? They're launch pads. They're launch pads. They're to, 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 to get people together and to say, hey, let's start getting involved in people's lives. We have life groups. We probably don't do them as often as we should. Right now, we get them on a monthly or semi-monthly rotation. Why do we do those things? Why do we look for, are those the answer? If you're, yes, you're in a life group, that means you're, you're being discipled or whatever. No, what are they? They're launch points. They're places. Do we have enough of them? Probably not. Could, could we organize them better? Probably could. But we want to work toward fostering that kind of environment. Why would, do we have a meal after, after church on Mar, uh, May the, or June the 4th? Why are we trying to do things like that? Again, that's not, well, yep, check it off. It says they broke bread with each other. We have a meal six times a year, so we are at doing those. No, they are supposed to be tastes of what the life in the church is supposed to be like every week, all the time. All right. I have no clue where I am now. All right, oh, I, I think I do. Uh, verse number 47. So they're doing this, and, and out of this unity, look what happens. Out of this unity and out of this fellowship, it says in verse 27, they are praising God, 47, praising God, and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. People are getting saved. They're coming in. Why? They're coming in to a healthy church. They're coming into a place where they're going to be cared for. They're going to be shepherded. And, and we need to be prayerful about that too. We should, and, and this is a, for me as a, as a pastor, this is always convicting. I should not pray for God to send more people unless we are prepared to disciple them properly. Now that doesn't mean God's not in the, he doesn't want to save. I'm praying for as many people to get saved or not. But I do believe it's a stewardship that we have, right? It's a responsibility that we have. And it's not up to one or two people. It's not up to a handful of people. It's up to the church, all of us. That's our mission. That's why we're here. Remember the series we just finished? Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to keep you here. And someday you'll come to be with me. Why did he keep us here? This is why we are here. And this is the place I don't mean this building, but we know what this building represents for us, our, our body of believers. Yes? Yeah. Right. Well, there should be, it should be being fed and the fellowship. And there's going to be some more... One of the weeks that I talk about this, I am going to talk about the importance of gathering. That's going to be one of the, the lessons in this. Because believe it or not, the, in the gathering, you can read, and I'm, I don't want to teach that whole lesson right now, but in, you can see this in Hebrews 10, where it says, or Hebrews, where it says not to stop meeting together, not to forsake the assembling. It gives a powerful why. And the why is not so that you can hear the sermon. Though that's a part of it, but not in that passage. It says, Keep meeting together, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and it gives you a why. You'll have to come that week to know the why, or look it up on your own. So that's my little teaser for that one. But there's all kinds of ways where we need to take this seriously. Disciple, 
be one, make one. We do this together for the glory of God. And it's an exciting thing. It's an exciting thing to see God add to his church, to see people's lives changed. And I'm just going to pray, and I hope you'll pray with me, that this summer will be a summer of discipleship, that we'll see people added to the church, baptized. We'll see people growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it'll be because we all do it together for God's glory. Yeah. Yep. Amen. All right. Anybody else? Closing thoughts as we get ready to wrap it up? All right. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we've had this time tonight to study your word and to be challenged and encouraged. Lord, I pray that you'd give us a, Lord, just an excitement and a passion to be on the mission that you've, you've left us here for. Lord, for 2,000 years, Christians have been making an impact and seeing new believers come into your kingdom. And Lord, we are here because someone took the discipleship mission seriously. So I pray that our generation would do the same. Lord, we pray that um, you would bless this church. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.